You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Idea at the end was what the crit- the really critical thing, what really is kaveya, whether something is tired or not, is not the event of Moshe speaking to anybody, it's the event of Moshe receiving dictation from a Kaddish Baruch and writing it down. Because that's what is Kaveya Kedusha say for Torah. So that, um, you know, um, so Moshe could either speaking, you know, could speak Shekhinah um, V'Dabaris Mitach or he could, he could speak al one way or the other when a Kaddish Baruch Hu taps him on the shoulder and calls him back and says, okay, now, you know, write this. Or alternatively, when Moshe goes to Shemaim in a vision, and the, the Groa works this out at the beginning of Sefer, Sefer Shemais, so there's, there's obviously two Bechinas over here. Moshe is copying the Torah from Ke'ilu from Hashem Sefer Torah. So he has, he has an experience of being a copyist. He also has an experience of, of, of receiving dictation. Right? And that's a visual experience plus an audio, audio experience. You know? But what comes out of that experience is Sefer Torah. Now, Sefer Torah is not necessarily any one of the speech events that, that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu is giving over to, to B'nai Yisrael. And that could either be Shechina Medeberis or Shechina Nat Medeberis or, or, or whatever. Okay, because whatever, you know, however Moshe Rabbeinu did it, it's reported in the Torah in a certain, you know, in a certain way. And therefore, the, the point of Sefer Devarim is that Sefer Devarim is as close, um, maybe not exactly Moshe's words, but it's close to Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu's personal style, which is therefore adopted by HaKadosh Baruch Hu and put into the, you know, put into the Sefer Torah, relatively unaltered, Mashenkein. You know, Mashenkin, Divrei Paroi, Divrei Bilam, and probably most of the, most of the other talk that's going on between people is not reported um, as you know as as direct quotes of what they said. Right, so that's a special chashivas to Moshe Rabbeinu and and whatever. But it got me it got me thinking, you know, about about the idea of nevuah, and guess what? It coincides with another one of my another one of my interests, which is Breslover Hasidus. I am. I consider myself a Breslover Chassid. Um, have have done so since uh, you know since my since my teens when I think Rabbi Nachman saved my sanity. <laughs> uh, at the very least, saved my sanity. It's probably saved my, the whole rest of me too. But uh, and it but was, I really, it was, uh, was Lakute Maran that saved you, or or well, or this Tikkun Kloli? Was it the? It was. Well, you know, most I think it was this Sichas Aran more than that because Sichas Aran and, and a lot of the other, a lot of the other stuff that had all that nice homey, nice homey um, advice. You know, don't give up on yourself. Look for your look for your good points. Um, don't Sikha, bash yourself too say much. Say for Hamidos, say for Hamidos, which is nice little epigrams, epigrams, right? Yeah. I mean, it was it was a very different approach that than I encountered than any other any other Musernikim because you know Musernikim are assuming that you're an arrogant jerk, and and um, you think you're wonderful, and so therefore my job is to prove to prove to you how how much of a scumbag you are, and and Rebbe Nachman correctly noted that that's not that the problem that people are going to be struggling with in the coming centuries was not that. It wasn't like an excess of an excess of arrogance that like I don't want to accept anybody's anybody's uh because I'm I'm so wonderful I don't need it, you know. Um the we very much are very brokenhearted from the from the get go. You know, we feel like failures without even without even you know having done anything to deserve to feel like that. And and because we feel so bad about ourselves before, because we feel so depressed and hopeless and miserable, you go take hopeless, depressed, miserable people and tell them how bad they are. Yeah, sure. I, you know, I know, I know, I knew and I exactly how bad I was. I didn't need anybody to come and hit me over the head with that. You know, what I needed to actually was someone to come and, and encourage me and tell me, you know, you're wherever you are, whatever's happening to you. Okay. If you try, you know, if you talk to Kaddish Baruch, if you continue to have faith, you, if you, if you're mischazek, you know, if you, if you strengthen yourself in your, in, in the, in the good points that you do have, and rejoice in them and be happy, then, then um, uh, you'll find that over time you'll get better. Okay, and this was, you know, this was amazing advice. I don't know, you know, does it, does it necessarily work for all people? 
these days. I imagine that they're probably some sociopaths and and some you know old fashioned Balagayevin and whatever that uh, that like in previous generation you know you need to you need to hit them over the head with their with their wickedness in order to convince them that they should change. But um, you know, Rabbi Nachman gave an alternative approach that was certainly exactly what I needed. Um, so I've always had a very um, a very strong connection to to Rabbi Nachman, and I, I also happen to believe that I have pretty solid hasogets in in Likute Boyaran also. Um, you know, yes. and um, and that that has to do you know that has well, to. Do I, I have to tell you, as somebody who um, you know, you might remember when we. Uh, uh, met up in 1992 when I was taking my father to Eretz Yisrael. Um, we met there and uh, in Geula, and we went mm-hmm. to a little bookstore and I bought my little pocket size uh, Lakuta Maran. I think I have it somewhere behind me over here. And um, it uh, did not usually leave my side of all the trips I took. In fact, um, I remember um, that uh, when I... Uh, had my operation um, in nineteen in in two thousand and eleven. Um, that uh, you know, I was all by myself, and I had I took my Lakuta Maran with me, or maybe it was it was definitely one of my, or maybe it was in two thousand and nine, one of those operations that I had. And I remember taking the Lakuta Maran with me and um, and learning it as I was going under, and uh, it was definitely a very very uh, uh, a crucial thing for me that I felt that uh, the the specialness of, and I guess it's almost not just the the aura of Rav Nachman, but really the the challenge that Rav Nachman lays down almost in every single uh, every single piece of Lakute Maran, the challenge of, of of figuring this out and applying it and following him. I you know I, I think mm. it's 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 it really is it's like a um i would say the following you know you know using a very prostomotion um you know they they say the sign of a good movie is you can go back and watch it again and you can see things you never saw before i think the, i think the same thing happens when you go through uh one of the pieces in the maran you might have done it before but somehow it's different the, the next time and it, incredibly and maybe part of this is, you know, me imposing myself on it, but it, it it speaks to you in a different way, and 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 you discover new things. So I, I do, you know, I I agree with you that uh, that that he speaks, but not in you know Wayne Dyer or any sort of you know New Age guru sort of way of just making you feel good. I think he actually challenges you. He challenges you to to join him on this the odyssey at least that's the way i feel uh, when you're when you're doing lakute maran um and um yeah and, and i think that you 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 feel that you're going you actually are being propelled somewhere and uh yeah. that i think is is, is 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 powerful i would say nelson that that i think the and maybe this is just the cranky old cynic in me it's hard, you know, I, I, the, the phenomena, before we get to really the meat of what we want to talk about, the phenomena of, of, of Breslov being everywhere and Nana Nachman and the, the letter that, you know, the, the, I forgot what it's called, you know, the one that they found that the, that the, the Pitke, I can, if you want to hear the story of the Pitke in all of its variations, I've heard it, I have, I have, you know connections in 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 Tiberia, or at least I used to. I actually I actually met Rabbi Sorel Odesser, you know, um, but it's a it's a you know it's a crazy story. And and by the way, you know real real Breslovers don't hold it that right. So, so I think yeah. what's happened is I think it's branched into it's morphed into something that has become sort of like a grotesque uh, yeah a, a grotesque image of what. Bres was when Rav Nelson and the other Chassidim were there, um, and, he, he, and I think people have this idea that you know the big white keeper. My son became a Breslover. It's it, it's it's sort of like my son becoming um, you know uh, the weirdest type of cult person you could ever become. Yeah. Um, 
And, and my well, father, my father over Shalom knew about Bresser Chassidim. You know, they used to call, you know, they were called in Europe. They were the Taiter, the Taiter Chassidim. They, they all knew who they were, but they didn't have the, 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 the sort of veneer of, 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 of radical, you know, erratic behavior about them. Goofballism. Right. You know, they knew they were the Taiter. Oh, that's the Taiter Chassidim, right. They, they never, as if, oh, they never took another red, so to speak. But um, so I do think that that as someone who dearly loves Rav Nachman, um, and 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 really you know many times comes back to him if, if he can, um, I do think that that unfortunately, you know, there the, the term "I'm a Breslover has become you know I, I think bastardized. I don't know if you agree with me, but I'm, yeah, I actually completely completely agree with that. I think that that. Uh... The way that um, Breslau Hasidis or the derech of Breslau Hasidis is, is depicted um, by the, shall we say, by the fringe cases, you know, it's like it's like this big feel-good emotional roller coaster kind of thing. You know, you have, and you especially in Eretz Yisrael, you know, you have all sorts of different um, uh, different phenomena. Not just not just the nanachs, you know, you have. Um, you have some singers that that like they, they sing super depressing songs all the time. Oh, Shuli Rand, like Shuli Rand is a walking is a walking depression bomb as far as I'm concerned. You know, I'm I'm digging my way through the darkness, through the darkness. I'm looking for some light, or you know, so so and and then then there's some amazing moments. This is you know this is not Likutei Moran. Likutei Moran is probably some of the most intellectually challenging. Uh, Tyra, that you're ever likely to find anywhere, and and Rabbi Nachman had such an amazing command of kala Kula. Every, I mean, he can, you know, he can, he can quote Pesukim from Eov, <laughs> which is, which is, that's a, that's an accomplishment. There, there wasn't a single book in the Tanakh that he didn't have access to. There wasn't a page of Zayar that he did that, that that he didn't that he wasn't able to access. And he, you know, and and Gemara is all over the place, like you wouldn't like like. You couldn't, you couldn't right. and, imagine. And, and, and again, and the, we, we always, you know, of course, uh, the, one of the, the centerpieces of Kutamaran is the Rabbi Baruchana Gemara right. that, that he interprets in such an incredibly long-winded but brilliant fashion. But anyway. So I think, I think that, I, I, you know, obviously the, you, you expect, put it this way, I think the serious Breslover Chevra realized that Lukute Maran and some of maybe, and I'm going to, this is where I guess we're going to go in the segue, even the other part, which is the Sipuri Maisios, um, are really in a way um, key uh, mystical, Kabbalistic, Hasidic texts um, in ways that I don't know if any others far more. And, and you know, um, it's almost like, you know, there's, a, they have, a, I know Chabad does the same thing with Tanya. But I don't, I, I don't, you know, Tanya, I think, needs to be learned in a straightforward way. I'm not going to open up, you know, open it up in the same way. Um, but I think there is a, 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 there's this multi-layered metaphor aspect that, that the Sipurimaisias have and the power that they have um, that yeah. I think is, is unique. Well, um, you, know, you know, Martin Buber and others that, you know, popularized in the beginning of the 20th century uh, Hasidic stories um, and translated also, I think he also translated Rav Nachman. Um, I think that what that did was, and I, was again, we talk about bastardization. I think what that did was that that really created a a a, a German um, false uh, identity for Chassidus, which was Rabbi Nachman is Rabbi Nachman is a surrealist author, you know. Right, and I think that was. Uh, and and, the, and you know, Woody Allen, of course, made fun of that in his famous essay about uh, you know making up these these stories that seem to be completely off the wall. Um, I, I think the Sipurimaisis, and again, I, I I know we used to. T- I think I saw it by you for the first time. Uh, Arya Kaplan's um, you know, really, I don't know what you think about it now, but I remember years ago when we were when we discovered it. I thought you were quite impressed by what Kaplan was doing with the stories. Um, right, he was really, in a way, really peeling yeah. away the layers and and showing how you could really see that the muscle uh, in the nimshal that you could there's actually, Tyra there, right? There's and, um, you know, these these days I have somewhat more of an appreciation for uh, for 
sepoiomyces than I than I did back then. You know, um, so but, so in other words, there's the same way. Anyway, there's 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 whole sugiyas. There's whole sugiyas that 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 Rabbi Nachman is working on, and he's working on them on a on a on a very deep level. And most of these are sugiyas in Kisvei or in Zohar or 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 elsewhere within the within the corpus. And I. You know, I I would just I would just like you know point back to one of our one of our talks where I tried to make the claim that there's no um, that there's um, the divide between between rationalism and Kabbalah is art is artificial. Okay, so that would be most people I think would be pretty hard pressed to see that in in uh, in Rabbi Nachman because a lot of the if you just go into Likute Moiran without without um, some sort of prep. Okay, so a lot of the things in, the, in there are going to sound totally off the wall, um, but you know you have to you have to uh, dig deeper and you have to try and understand where he's coming from. And um, and, and, you're, and, and you're going to I hear, you're going to hear like you can see the the fervor of his attack on uh, rational thought. You know, what's considered you know the ultra rationalists. You know, many of the pages yeah. seem to be. You know, and that's why I think a lot of people see it as, you know, as sort of a backward um, folk tour, you know, a folk, uh, folk wisdom. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, he does take, he takes a lot of shots at, at Chochmah, you know, at what's, you know, about Chochmah without Torah and Chochmah on its own. And um, I think because of that, uh, yeah. like you say, there's a sense that this is not rational thought. And yet, um, and I guess the same thing could really be said you know, when you see well, how much you're going to understand the story. And I guess this gets into what we're going to talk about today. Yep, the is, story. Which is a story that that captures in a way that straight a straightforward teaching can't. There's something about, and of course, Aris, you, know, you know, Plato understood this as well uh, in terms of, you know, what he did with Socrates. I don't know if, I don't think Aristotle agreed. I, th- I think Plato understood that there are uh, truths that, can only be given over, at least in terms of the, in terms of starting influencing people, only through uh, a story, and a story is because of the the apparent distance and settling into the familiar that the story gives you. It actually can then wrap itself and it can then convey its message. So you, when just to connect the dots to everything we're saying here, you heard the sheer about Navuas Moshe and what Navua is. And what struck you was a, a story that we need to bring this. Yeah, we need to we need to bring this story in because that's going to show something. Um, and it's also it's also terribly interesting to, to me because you know this is, and I hope we don't run out of time before we deliver the you know deliver the punchline here. But no, this is a, a part <laughs> this is a super secret story. Right? This is a this is like one of. Um, Two or three texts that were, were that were Hasidic. Rabbi Nachman actually swore his Hasidim to secrecy on on this point, or or at least told them in no uncertain terms that they should keep the secret. And they and they kept the secret for about two hundred years. It's been published now by by a professor who is actually who's a firm guy, and he's a he deals I think very rever- very reverently with the with the material. His name is Tzvi Mark, and so he's been he's been instrumental in bringing to light a lot of the the um, secret stuff. However, I mean, it's not as if I picked this this story because it's it's secret, even though that certainly makes the idea enticing. Um, but also because it teaches something pretty pretty important, I think about about um, you know many things that I've struggled with in in my life for a while, namely the different grades of and you know what what constitutes an external world experience what constitute and what constitutes an internal world experience where are the shades and the grades where do you where do you emerge out of the living in the natural order of things to live in some other kind of of space where Hakadosh Baruch Hu is feeding you from from Mina Shemaim, so to speak and what are the different stages that you you know uh, pass through in order to get to the you know, to the to the real core of of Hashem's light in the in the world. So that's the thing that appeals to me the most about about this story. It helps me. It really helps me. You know, put things in order in in um, in that sense. What are the stages of 
um, traversing from, let's say, a chitzoniyut of the natural order, which is where, frankly, we we all usually live. You know, we, we you know we eat a sandwich, okay? You know, you think you think you're ingesting carbohydrates and proteins that have been around since the beginning of time. Okay. And and if you begin to think of it in terms of Amuna, you're saying, you know, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has sent me this sandwich right now, and this is HaKadosh Baruch Hu Shefa coming, you know, coming down to me. And that changes that experience. Right. But there's but there's there's something even deeper than that, okay, which is what you really need in order to bring about the experience of, of Kabbalah Satira, and which uh, actually happened in order for there to be Kabbalah Satira. And we can still you know, we can, we can we can still have a shaykhus to that, shall we say, third level of of reality. And what is and what is that third level of reality consist of? You know. So look, here's the story. Okay. So I'll tell and you I'm what, and to... I think that the um, I think we're going to set the table with the story, and because I, I think, although I'm eager as well to hear the complete viewer, I, I think you know you know sort of you know we've we've sort of set the scene. And spent a lot of time doing it. So why don't we? Why don't you give us the time, give us the story, and yeah, and then we'll sketch the without without further ado. Okay, um, so I'm going to actually you know shorten it where I can because there's a story about a person who is very young, but he had a very important grandfather, who was a very great man, and the young guy himself was no you know uh, was no lightweight. And he had a dream that his grandfather comes to him and he says that you need to pay attention to the food that you're eating today. And he woke up and um, he, he, knew, he knew, of course, that the dream was a true dream or that his dreams are generally true. And he'd already encountered his grandfather um, numerous times in dreams. And it was all true. But he didn't understand what it means to pay attention to the food that he is eating. Because he always paid attention to his food, you know, he always paid attention to eating his food with proper and with proper kavana, you know, with proper meaning. Or so he went to the mikveh, and then he said some tehillim, and then he davened really, really, really hard that Hakadosh Baruch Hu should teach him or show him what it means to pay attention to his food. And he began to obsess about this, and he was walking around, and he was in pain over this to know what kind of attention am I supposed to pay to my food. And he got really, really tired, and then he lay down on the on the bed to sleep a little bit. And suddenly he has his grandfather coming to him in a dream, and he says, you are torturing yourself over what the meaning of paying attention is? Well, I'll tell you. Today they want to give you the Torah. They want to give you the Teire, or the Torah. And the Torah has only been given to people who eat man, you know, our ancestors in the desert. And they want to give you man to eat. And the young man wakes up again and he begins to really torture himself now because this is a wonderful thing to have. I'm going to eat man today. And he wanted to, you know, and he wanted to have this very badly. Especially since if he succeeds in eating the man, he will be able to receive the toa. So you certainly has to pay attention to his food. And he was thinking about how to pay attention to his food. And suddenly he remembered the Medrash that it says in the Pasuk, you know, that, that Moshe um, Rabbeinu is telling Am Yisrael, also in Sefer Devarim, by the way, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu tortured them and, and forced them to be hungry in order to feed them the man. So, well, so you know, eat man, eat man. Why do you, you know, what's the torture in eating man? So he says, the Midrash says that before they ate the man, they used to fast the day before to extract all of the all of the ordinary food in their stomachs. Now I don't know what ordinary food they were eating back then. Maybe it's the maybe it's the slav or, or maybe it's an occasional snack that they were buying from from some um, caravans that were passing by. Who knows? But whenever whenever they ate something that wasn't man, they had to torture themselves by fasting in order to in order to clear it all out of their systems. And and the young man decided that he has a problem now because he wasn't fasting yesterday and he needed to cleanse his body of all of the food that he had eaten previously. So he takes something which is brought down here as an aineneminis, 
Well, I think you know what it is. Okay, it's not pleasant. Um, it's at the, at the very least, it's a laxative. And he had no compassion on himself because he was really, really wanting to get all the crud out of his body so he could figure out how to eat the mun. And he took this he, he took this substance, very strong substance, and he and it gave him terrible diarrhea until everything came out the way that it went in, which kind of reminds me of of going for a colonoscopy, you know, where basically what you that you know they give you this liquid to drink, and when it's as clear on the way in as it's on the way out, then you know there's absolutely nothing in your nothing in your kishkas anymore, right? But then he began to think, but wait a second, I still have some blood that has been neutrified. I still have some content in my body that has been neutrified by the food. By the food, How do I get rid of that? And he's, I guess he thinks that that's in the blood. So once again, you know, he's thinking about how, how is he going to deal with this? And he falls asleep again. And then he's, he's not quite asleep and he's not quite awake. And there is his grandfather again. And he says, listen, you're worried about you're you're worried about the blood that got neutrified by this. I'll tell you what. I'm going to take you to the to the great river of fire, where the malachim, uh, you know, where, where the angels immerse themselves in order to in order to go to the mikvah. And um, I I don't I don't recall all the midrash about tzaddikim going to the mikvah Nardinur, but whatever Nardinur is very hot. Okay. And um, and if you it's actually, immerse yourself it's actually in a destructive place for the malachim, I think they basically regenerate themselves. They they are uh, whatever they were the day before. They they sort of their essence becomes trans yeah. transmogrified into something else. So it's actually nar dinur is is you know is a, is a ultimate, oh, also, do, do, do get, do, do get burnt up in nar dinur or I don't know whatever. I think the malachim go to nar dinur. Okay, so he's going, so he's obviously in some sort of dream vision state, and he's going with his grandfather to, to, the, to, the, to the river of fire, and, and, uh, and he immerses himself in the river of fire, and he thinks that he's not going to survive at all, because he's going to get completely burnt up, but nevertheless, he immerses himself there, and he comes out peacefully, you know, he comes out whole, and when he came out of the uh, fire, he saw an entire world, he saw a new world, and he woke up. And in in the way that sometimes when you have a very intense dream and you wake up and it seems that you're still dreaming even though you're wide awake, well, that's the way that it was for him then. He saw a really an entirely new world, and he went to the table and the table was set and the and the and the bread was put on the table, and he went and he did the tilat yudaim and he made a uh, and he made bracha on the tilat yudaim and he, you know, and he drank his hands and he came to the table and he looks to his surprise that uh, it's not bread at all but it looks like a container of letters that are all mixed together without any particular order figure if you want to take uh, an image from our contemporary life um i don't know if they still have alphabet cereal but we used to have some as, as kids you know so if you can imagine hebrew alphabet cereal laying in a pile on the table um but it's not alphabet cereal it's not it's not substance at all really um and now um the young man was extremely upset because he just made a bracha levatala because for this you don't need to do nitilas yudai and his uh, grandfather came to him in in the wake state and he said no 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 don't worry about this you make a bracha hamaitzi because this bracha belongs to this food and he made a bracha and he ate the bread and he continued to see that he was eating letters even the crumbs that fell off of the bread were also letters and he ate everything and he ate until he had finished all of the crumbs of the bread with the of that's actually a bunch of letters and then he opened his mouth and all of the letters that he had eaten came out arranged in um, arranged in permutations. Aleph, Yud, Aleph, Aleph, He, Lamed, Yud, Lamed, Aleph, etc. Now, one of the things that you have when you, when you see very you know, lengthy abbreviations and stuff in, in, uh, in Breslover writings is that you know that it's a sign that something has been, that something has been censored out. 
And so you have to ask yourself, what do these letters stand for? What might they mean? Well, they are Rashtetevot. You know, they're an acronym for, not an acronym, they're a, an acronym? Um, uh, they are an abbreviation of. An abbreviation. Abbreviation for Anuchi Hashem Elokecha, Asher Hotzeiticha, Lo Yelcha Elohim Achirim Al Panai, Ad Gemal Kol Ha Yud Hei Dalad, which was obviously Yud Hadibrot, until the completion of all the Aserot Hadibrot. And he saw within this the entire Torah and every generation and its, uh, and its teachers, every generation and its leaders, and anything that a student, a, anything that a mature student is ever going to, uh, ever going to. Uh, okay, yeah, I would say Talmud, yeah, you know, I, I love your translations up until now, you know, the mature students, yes. The Talmud Vosik, because the, you know, I would say it's more the, the the, the the old the old decrepit <laughs> no no the sharp ones the ones that really oh. the ones that really live as extensions of in other words listen the, the narishkite that that students say we're not talking about we're talking about the real like the vasikan in other words the the ones that were really who got it you know with every sharp yeah. brilliant student in the future that would add to the corpus of knowledge so basically as as, as everybody probably knows Nelson, that that um that he's talking about himself, right? He's obviously the, the man with the grandfather, and he's a Rebbe, right? And he's he's young. Yeah. Rav Nachman, how well, old was Rav Nachman when he died? He was well. Uh, Rav, Nachman, Rav Nachman died when he was, uh, you know, when he was, I believe, uh, thirty-eight. Right. So we're talking. But, uh, but this is this is this is an early this is an early story. Okay, so, it's an early story because it because it happened. Um, he told the story when he was when he was living in Zlatipoli, which is which is like early. That's before he that's before he moves to Breslov, and and he's he you know I think it's pretty transparent that he's talking to himself because you know his great grandfather was was the was the Balshemtov, um, and we and we know from other stories that Rabbi Nachman told about himself that he was very prone to ascetic practices as a child um, that were related that were related to food. You know, and he he gave up the he gave up the ascetic practices after a while because he realized they weren't really doing what they were, what he intended them to do. But um, you know, he seemed to have been at some time in his life he seemed to be capable of torturing himself with with uh, with laxatives and and uh, and doing other things in order to make himself worthy of of eating uh, uh, eating mud. Um, how much of the story actually happens? In dream states, in vision states, how much of it really happens? It's, it's it's hard actually to keep track. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that everything that happens after after the line where it says that he was neither awake or asleep, you know. But he actually becomes um, much more than he becomes more than a normally. Like, when we think about you know Rebus, we think about what they added. Uh, and we're looking at it from an academic perspective or a uh, what oh I, I love this safer. So we see them as Talmidim Vasikim, but Rav Nachman actually has posited himself as a more than just a Talmud Vasik, but actually as 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 Moshe and even more than Moshe, right? He's almost like a, you know, a he's a twin of Moshe Rabbeinu and of God himself, right? Because he's now able to see he's able to see Dor Dor Vidorshov and what comes out of his mouth. What comes arranged out of his Sadibra. So he is, you know, he's he he has somehow this young young Rav Nachman is describing how he was transformed into into more than even more than the Navi, right? That's basically that's basically what the story, if it's about him, and and and, and it is about him, and he's and he swears everyone to secrecy, doesn't it seem like right. doesn't it seem like well, he's I mean that yeah. would be that would be the most obvious reason why you imagine that this story needs to be kept super super secret right um anyway on on the question of whether this is Rabbi Nachman or not so so there's another paragraph here that the the, the students or the companions that were with with Rabbi Nachman at the time I mean I I'm I'm assuming this happened to him when when he was in his teens at the very at the very latest you know the actual the actual dreams Okay, um, and and you know, and whether he actually ate all that x lax or not, I you know, I, I don't, I, I I don't know. Maybe maybe that was a dream, maybe not. But certainly, ever the whole the whole trip to Nahar Dinur and and eating the bread, 
okay so that's that's vision stuff you don't you know you don't sit there at the table you know eating a box of um eating a box of oasis right but anyway the people who were there they asked him the person that you're talking about is he close to here or far away so that's a way of kind of like opening up the opening up the obvious question are you talking about yourself or somebody else right and he and Rabbi Nachman replied you would love to investigate and ask this and if you want to ask i will deny myself entirely and then he said there is one person who is two and two people who are one and when he's here he's there also So that's about as close as you get to Rabbi Nachman telling you one way or the other about whether it was him or not. Okay, he certainly doesn't want to say that it was him, but he also doesn't want to say that it's not him. And I guess the the best that you can the best that you can say is that Rabbi Nachman is is um, is disassociating himself, like you know the um, like I have two selves. Yeah, well, you know? sort of similar and, to the and Rabbi. this is this this kind of yeah this this kind of thing happens to a self. That is not me as an ordinary human being. It's some part of me. It's some Shirish. It's some Indian. It's some whatever. But you know, so like when we talked about Dvekos, right? Remember, we we right. I, I I I thought we had this discussion uh, between the two of us. I think we recorded it about the Ramban's concept of Dvekos. I know I gave a share about it. And, mm-hmm. and 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 what happens here, of course, is the ability to be to to be with God and to be here. But I'm really not here. I'm here and there. And when I'm here, I'm there as well. And one of the reasons why you appreciate me being here is because I'm not 100% here, because the essence of who I am is being dovic to God. And as the Ramban yeah. says, I, you know, I might be telling you a joke and asking how you're, how, how, you know, if you need any money, but really every word that I'm saying is really Kodesh Kedoshim because I'm doing Yehudim, <laughs> I'm doing all these incredible right. Yehudim at the same moment. Um, so it, I, it, I, could, it could also be... An- and I could also be in this context, I think that Rabbi Nachman might be saying that, yeah, I had the vision, but that doesn't mean that I'm on that level. I'm not, I'm not claiming to be Moshe Rabbeinu. It's like, it's like some aspect of me had this vision, and it's a vision that I had that's supposed to teach me something. It's not a vision that I had that's supposed to say, ah, this is how great you are, right? Um, and uh, that's, that's, kind of the, that's kind of the impression that I, that I get out of this. But it, it's certainly oh, and, and I'll just I'll just continue the paragraph because it's interesting. And he so Rabbi Nachman commands his people to review the story, and he, that this story is going to become important for those that are here with us today and those that are not here. That's an obvious reference to Parsha Slitzovim. You know, right? so there's some Moshe Rabbeinu over there, um, and and you know perhaps he's referring to his to some future self that is going to be Raui for this you know Raui for this vision because as a as, as a young fellow he's not really Raui for the, the vision that he got but maybe one of these days I'm going to evolve into that person you know and Rabbi Nachman probably didn't didn't know how long he was going to live but his his evolutionary trajectory was was somewhat shorter than well if, um, if well if 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 he if he was privy to the Doris then maybe he understood that Sri Mark would come around and be this <laughs> for the people that are Poayim. In other words, the Deiris Abayim are going to need this. Now, it's true, right now we're keeping it. It's sort of like the Iskalas Azoar in many ways. I see it. You know, the Iskalas Azoar, which of yeah. course was, you know, it was, it was only part of a very small group, uh, the Kabbalists themselves, and they would give it over only to to, to that door. And then when you have the Iskalas and then the Atfasas Azoar, the printing of the Zohar itself, then you basically have the self-prophecy of the Zohar saying, you know, so I, you know, it might be that that's what he's, what he means as well, that, that there's going to be, and somehow this Sipur to you, um, and I, I, I'm beginning to sense it as well, is really the key for something that Rabbi Yuni um, 
struggled with, I would say. That he's, right. in other words, Rabbi Yuni, to, be, to put it kindly, um, you know, you know, rejected a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the, you heard him, of course, reject the Rukhaim Balozhner and others, and, 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 uh, as well as the, you know, the excesses of the Lubavitcher Rebbe in this in this regard, but really so much of uh, of, of the understanding of what it means to to be a makubal and to be a navi and to be Moshe Rabbeinu, so to speak, and what happens, what Taira is, and how Taira works, um, is really I, I think, you know, embedded in in this this story. Um, and, and I, I would say, and I sort of hold it for, for next week, the, the, the greater uh, explanation that, that hopefully you know, you'll, 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 you'll give us and, or we'll, we'll tease out of you, um, is that the story is, is fantastic because it has the human, not just the physical struggle of the, the diuretic, but also the physical struggle and emotional struggle of what is it the message that I know I'm supposed to get, right? The, the confusion, right? The, the yeah. confusion of, and, and, and not realizing what's really in front of you. Um, the, the confusion of, of, of not recognizing what state you're in and where the trajectory of where you're going. So it has a lot of, uh, you know, like, like, like an origin story, right? An origin yeah. You know, in other words, instead of, I think what makes it a great origin story is that instead of, you know, the idea that I was just a, uh, you, know, uh, you know, like the origin stories in the old comic books, like, you know, uh, you know I'll take Green Lantern's origin story. You know, he's, he's Hal Jordan, he's a, uh, a test pilot, and he's very cocky, and he discovers a, uh, somewhere, in some uh, crashed place, he, he discovers a, a, a spaceship of an alien creature, an alien person who, it turns out that the person who is this alien is dying, and he's one of the, he's one of the Green Lantern Corps, and he gives him his, you know, he, as he's trying to tend to him, and he's a very, you know, he's a very uh, haughty individual, but, uh, and, and very full of himself, but here he, the better part of it is coming out, and then he's given this ring, and this mission, and he realizes that he has to become something greater, now that's your typical origin story. I could have picked anyone, but there you have a person who gets his calling. Sometimes it just happens to, uh, the, the the events occur, and then they aren't really the same person. They're nepach leish acher, and that. But then you have the person who was already something, and he seems to understand. He seems to be an oivet. He seems to be someone who has his life together, and that's when you have uh, uh, this type of incredible change. Right. I mean, that's part of mm-hmm. why if you would be a zero, if you would be Hal Jordan, the test pilot discovering this great, you know, you know, the, the, the guy, the alien who's going to give him this lantern and with this magic ring. Of course, that's that's uh, boy, this, I'm, I'm totally different than now. I've got a whole new life. I think part of the thing is, is that is, 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 is because of he was already an oivain. He already used to daven with a lot of kavana and he already was so makman how he ate and everything like that. And he already was getting chalimas and nevuas, so to speak, from his grandfather. I think that's where this oh. this this other level is really is really like Miriam and Aaron discovering how Moshe is much more than they are, right? Without realizing mm. up until this point. So I think that's. Am I right that that's part of why you believe this story speaks to Moshe versus you know what what is nevuas? Well, I think since we're since we're going to come back to this next week, which I'm very pleased about, because most of the things we talk about are not really sufficiently <laughs> explicable in a single session. But I'm I'm I'll, I'll end with you know the critical question here, at least for most people, is why is this a secret story? And the and the most obvious answer that they're going to jump on is because Rabbi Nachman was saying, "Look, I'm Moshe Rabbeinu." Okay, and and maybe he was and 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 maybe he was denying that. And maybe he. He wasn't okay, but I don't think that that's really the the key yeah. point of the story. I don't think that's the key point of the story, and I don't even think necessarily that he's saying that he's Moshe Rabbeinu. I think he's saying that he's could be could have been an ordinary Jew at Ma'amad Har Sinai, you know. But he is saying something about how Nevuah works, and this does definitely goes back to to 
Rav Nachem Yuni's thing about why do you need Shechina Medeberis Pitash Groenai? I mean, God wants to talk, let him talk, you know? But you have to have the human vehicle there because if you don't have the human vehicle, then Hashem's mind never comes into the world in a way that is accessible to other humans. There has to be Hashem's mind coming into a human being and, and speaking out of that human being's mouth. Okay, so Rabbi Nachman is telling you about how that works. You know, what does that mean? And it, it also goes to the point that you made at the same in the in, in the same shir that um, you needed the idea of Shechina Medeberis Betachigroina in order for it to be Tyra. If it's not Shechina Medeberis Betachigroina, then it's just it's just Divri Moshe and it's Nevoa. Look, I, I, I think part of uh, the, is, is why Menachem, who is very, very smart, like is rejecting this because Menachem's world is the Torah HaKsuva and not necessarily the prophetic experience or of the experience. In other words, he loves, he considers every word of Torah as Choshev as anyone, right? So therefore, this, 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 this discussion about is it Shechina Medeberis, is it as if God is being Yerikah is insignificant because we're still going to treat Torah, whether what happened there or not, we're going to treat it as the most important thing in the world and live by it and die over it and sweat over it. I, I, it's I the think, written text that's important to him. And by right. the way, I, 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 I logically, I completely agree with him. I really completely agree with it. Right, because who cares historically? <laughs> who cares historically? What does it make a difference? Because well, my, I'm living according to this, and those forty years, are, right? I'm already older than forty years in the desert. We, I, Menachem's been learning Torah for sixty-five years. You know what I'm saying? So the idea of what Moshe was teaching for those forty years is insignificant to let me just roll up my sleeves and jump into the Gemara or jump into the, the Pusik and I'm going to revel in it, and it's going to be my life. Because what Moshe wrote, that's the most important thing. I think the idea that it occurred actually and that there was human beings being transformed is is, is the point, uh, right? That has to happen. Mm. So it, you can't just have this later period, like I pointed out, where you have the super mystical moment where, okay, now I'm writing the Torah. And now, ooh, you're, I'm writing the Torah. This is super right? This is now God writing. I mean, this is what God wants, and this is the way I bond with God. That's also an ultra mystical moment, but it had to be preceded by the fact that Torah was something at that time as well. And, and, right? So Mm -hmm. I, I, I understand, I understand perfectly thinking about it, why Menachem really is, is not interested in going in this path. Because he's got enough, you know, he's got enough on his plate that he. Yeah. And, 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 and I mean, his 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 point, as I understand, is really is really very straightforward. Like when Moshe when Moshe is speaking to Bnei Yisrael, are they listening to God? Are they listening to Moshe? Are they listening to Moshe God? Are they listening to God Moshe? You know what what are they, what are they hearing? What is what actually what actual relevance is there to that? Because we because in creating the text of the Torah, the text of the Torah is sacred because the because it contains Nevoah's Moshe Rabbeinu, and and maybe you know maybe maybe the maybe the power is in his writing, not in his not not in his speaking, right. you know, or or something along those lines. But okay, those are those are all good questions. I I just I just want to say that I personally don't think that the point here is Rabbi Nachman going going self you know going in for all this um, megalomania, saying you know I'm Moshe Rabbeinu. I don't think that was his point. I think he had different fish to fry. Right and and uh, he definitely wanted to be oichleiman and he wanted to receive the tire, but but uh, but it, that's you know maybe I, he, I, maybe I, I he would... needs maybe he needs for the story to be secret because he doesn't want people to misunderstand him about about the, what the point or, of the story. May, is. Maybe it's similar to the type of uh, trepidation that people have about letting initiates come to Kabul in the first place. In other words, if if this story and we'll talk about it next time, is, is the recipe for how an oiveid Hashem, how a person who davens, not Hal Jordan, but a person who's already, you know, already an ish mushlam, takes that next jump to his gaulus, to Ruch HaKodesh, to Kabbalah. Maybe that always has to be, um, you know, kept. In other, that, in other words, the other stories might just be stories that speak around the topic. But when you have a recipe 
that actually is the process of getting there. You know, you don't give that to, you know, you can't give that to everybody. The same way the Bali Said, you know, you have to go through many Shari, Shari Kedusha before you're ready to go into the Yitzchayim, right? You have to mm-hmm. go through, and, and maybe that's one of the reasons. Again, I'm, I'm just speculating yeah. here, but, I, but, but, but we know. Well, I, I think that's, 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 I think, much more, much more in, the, in, the, in the right direction, I think, anyway. And, um, and also, by the way, another thing that Rabbi Nachman would be very uncomfortable with is because in the end, he didn't go in for all the ascetic practices. This whole, you know, the whole laxative event, I mean, he, you know, it's, it's part of the story and he told it. But I don't think he was comfortable about that. And I don't think that he would have, in his, in his, after he got out of his teens, teens that he would have recommended anybody, anybody trying that. You don't need that. And in, in fact, Rabbi Nachman is often, is often misapprehended as being some sort of like super intense, depressive like um, super fanatical character, and he actually wasn't. He was easygoing. He was he was quite normal. He was friendly. He was happy. He laughed. He had a fantastic sense of humor. He loved getting the news. You know, he loved knowing what's going on in the world, and he liked playing chess with with Maskilim. You know, <laughs> you know? and he was the sort of person that one could really really get along with. Uh, you know, in in a way. So he had a really good sense of balance about being the you know being the the this you know massive makubal on the inside and 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 being a regular person on the outside you know people people who find him to be depressive and super intense remember the man died of tuberculosis okay he lost his wife and 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 many of his children to the to, to the disease and you know so he wasn't he wasn't a happy camper there towards the towards the end you know um well I think we have. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.